Happy Resurrection Day. There's six of you that are excited about this, and uh, I just want to affirm you for your excitement. Happy Resurrection Day. Uh, all right, here. I want to say a couple of things. First of all, Pastor Linda will be leaving tomorrow for Africa, and uh, so you can be praying for her. She'll be gone 22 days, so uh, uh, she'll be having a really good time without us. Um, She'll be praying for us. Uh, that's right, us left who are left behind. Um, also, those kids. Oh my gosh! Ah, uh, we we sure do make pretty babies in this church. I just gotta hand it to you guys. You are way to make babies. Anyway, I'm reading from John chapter 11, starting with verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Amen. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And now going to verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when they, he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, Come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Easter, if I'm honest, is a tough preach. It's not because it's not the greatest news in the world. It's, it's because what new can you say about Easter that hasn't been said a hundred times? Most pastors know the feeling of preaching on Easter. My goal every Easter is to get past the cheap sentimentality that our culture tries to make of every religious holiday, especially Easter and Christmas. You know, I was watching ABC News last night, and they couldn't even bring themselves to say the name Easter. They said, you know, they were talking about how there's, you know, uh, increased uh, security at the Vatican and other places, you know, at St. Patrick's in New York. And they, said, and, and they said, it's a shame there has to be this much security during this time of spring and renewal. I went, you can't even say Easter, much less resurrection. Easter is not about spring coming. It is not about the crocuses breaking through the ground again in all their glory. It is not about new growth after winter or some kind of cycle. It's not about colored eggs or chocolate bunnies as much as I love colored eggs and chocolate bunnies. 
Easter is about resurrection. It is an intrusion, not in, into the normal cycle of things, into the natural order. It is about a tortured dead man who claimed to be God's son coming out of the grave and changing the world forever. It is about a dead man rising and bringing a kingdom with him, a kingdom that is invading this world even as we sit here right now. It's about the most important event in human history. The resurrection of Christ demonstrates and validates that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the only begotten son of God, that what he taught was not the rantings of a madman or a liar, that God's mission to save humanity through Jesus was entirely completed and successful. It is finished, and that a way has been made to God. The resurrection tells us that forever death is defeated, and now the life of God through resurrection life is being poured into the world right now. God's life has now been released into the world through the spirit of the risen Christ. In today's text, we see Jesus practicing resurrection. He's doing it on Lazarus even before his own resurrection. Lazarus had been in the tomb four days before Jesus got there. It says he stank. In King James, he stinketh. Martha, wondering why Jesus hadn't come sooner, said, If you had been here, Lord, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, Martha, don't worry about it. Chill out. Your brother will rise again. And Martha says, yes, I know on the last day, Lord, on the last great resurrection day when we all come out of the ground, I know he'll rise again. To which Jesus corrects her. He says, I'm not talking about the last day. I'm talking about now. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Jesus was saying, Lazarus' life does not depend on a date. It depends on me. I am Lazarus' resurrection. My life can pour into him right now. And if my life pours into him right now, Lazarus is coming out of the grave right now. You see, when it comes to resurrection, we narrow it down to two dates. The one date 2,000 years ago when Jesus came out of the grave, and I cannot emphasize enough the importance of that day that we're celebrating right now. And, again, the other date is the one we don't know, the one that is coming, the general resurrection, when we all fly up into the air to meet him. But Jesus implied that reducing resurrection to two dates was too narrow. Jesus was saying, Lazarus' resurrection does not depend on a date on the calendar. It depends on me. I can raise him up. I will raise him up. I can raise up people and things that need raising up whenever and wherever I am. I am the resurrection and the life right here, right now, in this present situation. I can overcome Lazarus' death or your death. I can overcome whatever and wherever is killing you or destroying you. I can touch and transform any person or situation and turn it from death into life. Jesus said, I am the giver of life. He said, you know, that he came so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Christ has come to take our existence, the existence of every person in this room, to another level. To open up new possibilities. To conquer all kinds of death. Ellsworth Callis writes, death in this world constantly asserts itself as if seeking to convince us that it is the ultimate fact of the universe. 
Death is not the ultimate fact of the universe. Death comes not only at the legendary last breath. Death comes, makes its claims every hour of every day, either in its assaults on our bodies or its attacks on those we love. Death announces itself with every transient pain, every instance of poverty, every stabbing fear, every skip beat of the heart. Death is persistent in its pursuit of us, isn't it? Do you feel something's chasing after you? It's called death. We live in a world where spiritual, relational, and emotional, and physical death comes at us all the time. Just watch the news. It's in all the papers. You see, most death comes to us on the installment plan. It takes a piece of our lives at a time in some area, whether it's a piece of our mind, a piece of our heart, our relationships, or our bodies. Every time a child is sexually abused, something in that child dies. Every time there's a divorce, there's something in the human heart that dies. Every time an alcoholic kills another fifth of whiskey, he skilled something even more precious than that in his body. Death is all around us, taking us a chunk at a time. No, my brothers and sisters, the Bible asserts that without Christ, we are already dead. Dead in the most important areas of life, our heart, our soul, our minds, We are separated from the source of all life without Christ. And if you're separated from the source of all life, your heart may be beaten, but you're dead as a doornail. Like one person said, most people die and then they grow old. You know, we do it backwards. We say people grow old and then they die. The Bible says people die and then they grow old. This is the condition of most of the human race according to the Bible. This is why Jesus died and rose again. He did it to defeat the assaults of death all around us. He is not waiting for some future date to bring resurrection. He is bringing resurrection right now. Resurrection is all over this room, all over human hearts, all over human lives this morning. Do you remember the main line from the movie, The Sixth Sense? That poor kid, that poor tormented kid. Remember his problem? He finds Bruce Willis. who's dead and doesn't know he's dead either. And he says to Bruce Willis, I see dead people, and they don't even know they're dead. That's what the Bible tells us. Jesus saw dead people, and and they don't even know they're dead. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's the reason he came out of the grave. He saw dead people. So he came to give us what we desperately needed. And the only cure for death is resurrection, life on a different level. Resurrection, interacting with our existences now. When I was 19, I became a Christian. And in a very real sense, I was resurrected that moment. Before that, I drank. I partied. I did drugs. I did crazy stuff. I know you're going, you crazy? Unimaginable. I did what if my kids did it, they would need resurrection too. What I didn't realize then was that I was desperately looking for life, life more abundant. I just didn't know its address. I finally came at age 19 to the conclusion that all my attempts for a higher life were futile. I was empty. Whatever life was, whatever real life was, I couldn't find it and I didn't know where to find it. 
I thought life was found in sports. I was wrong. I th- of course, Eagles fan knows that already. I thought it was found in popularity. Wrong again. I thought it was found in artificial highs. A dead end. I realized I was trapped inside myself. I was my own walking, talking casket. I was suffocating in myself and my limitations. I was a dead man walking. I realized I'm empty and I don't know how to be filled. I'm hurting and I can't heal myself. I'm dead and I can't find life. What I didn't realize was that I was exactly at the place where God could speak to me. I was ready to receive the cure called resurrection. You see, before you can receive resurrection, you first have to acknowledge you're dead. Most people just hate that. We think my life's okay. I just need to tweak it a little bit. I just need to make some minor adjustments. I just need a few more friends or a little bit more money or a better job. I just, I just need a new suit. I, I need to just look better. My friends, we need so much more because a corpse in a new suit is still a corpse. A corpse driving a new Mercedes is still dead. Corpse with more money still stinks. The only solution to death is resurrection. Lazarus, after he'd been dead for four days, didn't need a better deodorant. He didn't need Old Spice to come. And he didn't need a gourmet meal brought to the tomb. He didn't need a DiGiorno's pizza. That wasn't his problem. He needed resurrection. So often we just go around treating the symptoms of death. But but we can't take care of those symptoms. We try to make death look better and smell better. But dead is dead. I gave my heart to the Lord come this June 44 years ago in the front seat seat of an old ratty station wagon I was driving back then. What I didn't realize, I I was fixing to get high that night with one of my drug buddies. And we were getting, you know, what I didn't know is earlier that week he, he had got saved. And so I thought we were meeting for another purpose. And, he, and, and that week, not only did he get saved, but Jesus was waiting for me in the front seat of that car with my friend, and I got saved in the front seat of that car. Life changed that night for me because life came into a dead person that night. The good news of the gospel and of Easter is that Christ is at work in our world, turning death into life all the time. In every circumstance, in every pain, in every trial, I have learned to look for resurrection. For God's life and love and guidance and power to show up and transform death into life anywhere. Even in the ordinary. Especially the ordinary. If we believe Christ is alive and here through His Spirit, then we must know He is with us even on our lousy jobs. Even when we clean toilets, even when we change diapers, He is with us in every circumstance. 
He is here guiding, teaching, giving resurrection in the midst of death all the time. Now, I know what people say. You know, sometimes people, you know, it, it's just, I know, you know, hey, I question the very existence of God. This world has too much evil, too much pain, too much death to believe that God is real or that God is love or that resurrection life is possible. So, you know, I, I, I've heard those arguments over and over. Again, one of my favorite writers is, is, is John Ortberg, and he tells this story. He said, a woman I know named Cheryl went to the hair salon to have her nails manicured. I think that's a good practice for all of us, don't you? Look at, never mind. As the beautician began to work, they began to have a good conversation about many subjects. When they eventually touched on God, the beautician said, I don't believe God exists. Why do you say that, said Cheryl, who herself had multiple sclerosis. Well, you just have to go out on the street to realize God doesn't exist, she said. Tell me, if God exists, would there be so many sick people? Would there be abandoned children? If God existed, there would be neither suffering nor pain. I can't imagine loving a God who could allow all these things. New, new argument. Cheryl thought for a moment. She didn't respond because she didn't be, want to be a part, start an argument, especially with somebody that had her hair in their hands. The beautician finished her job, and Cheryl left the shop. Just after she left the beauty shop, she saw a woman in the street with long, stringy, dirty hair. She looked filthy and unkempt. And Cheryl looked at her, tur turned around, entered the beauty shop again, and said to the be beautician, You know what? I have concluded that beauticians do not exist. How can you say that, asked the surprised beautician. I am here. I just worked on you. I exist. No, Cheryl exclaimed. Beauticians do not exist. Because if they did, there would be no people with dirty, long, stringy hair appearing unkempt like the woman outside your shop. Ah, oh, but beauticians do exist, she answered. The problem is people do not come to me. And Cheryl looked at her and said, exactly. The main problem with doubt, when doubt gets toxic, is not what it does to us. It's what it keeps us from doing. We quit seeing and we quit looking. I've got news for you. Good news. Despite there being all kinds of junkyards all over the world, mechanics still exist. Despite all kinds of people in our society having, can have can having cancer, doctors still exist. Despite all kinds of people with ugly hairdos, beauticians still exist. Let's do an experiment this morning. I want you to, to look at a person in front of you, behind you, but I don't care who you look at. And if you think they need more help from a beautician, I want you to smile at them. <laughs> don't look at me. You're looking at me. <laughs> Nobody's looking around. And some people are choking back a smile. I am insulted. You're looking at me. The resurrection says that despite appearances, Jesus is alive and loose in the world. He's alive and loose despite there being dirty, stringy hair. 
He's alive despite there being people with disease. He's alive despite evil that exists all around us. He's alive despite death. Jesus is risen. Because the risen Christ is searching for us. He is giving us clues. He is dropping breadcrumbs that lead us to him. Jesus got out of the grave and he is on the move. And if you're not careful, you might just run into him. Nadia Bowles-Weber pastors a church with all kinds of people. She's written an interesting book, but I can't recommend you read it. But it's Christian, but it's profane. And she says... She tells the story of Andy. And Andy, most of her life, was an agnostic. And then God began to move in her. And she became a Unitarian. <laughs> now, for you, those of you who don't know what an agnostic is, an agnostic is someone who says, I don't know whether there's a God or not a God, and I don't know what they're like. A Unitarian says, I suspect there's a God. <laughs> Anyway, Andy was this big, tattooed, all-over, beautiful girl with a stunning contralto voice. And after about six months of going to Nadia's church, she said, Hey, Rev, do not call me Rev. (laughs) Said, Hey, Rev, I need some pastoral care. Pastor Nadia said they could meet the next day for coffee. And when Pastor Nadia asked Andy what was up, she said, I think I'm having a crisis of faith. To which Pastor Nadia thought, what the heck does a crisis of faith look like to a Unitarian? They believe so little to begin with. Yeah, Andy continued. Ashley, here's my crisis of faith. I think I believe in Jesus. That, my friends, is a backslidden Unitarian. (laughs) Pastor Nadia said, I am so sorry. She said, but sometimes Jesus just hunts your behind down and there's nothing you can do about it. I cleaned that up for you. (laughs) I'm here to tell you, watch out. That's exactly what Jesus does. He hunts us down. A resurrected Jesus is not sitting idly by watching you be dead all day long. He rose for you and he's reaching out for you and he's coming for you. That reality should especially, especially be true for us Christians. Jesus said, and and I I can't emphasize this, if you ask me what troubles me more and what causes more heartache for me, for, for people who love Jesus, it's this. What bothers me is that so many people believe in Jesus, but do not experience the risen Christ. It's a head trip. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is within us if we believe in him, around us. The resurrection means Jesus lives and we are his temple. He inhabits us. And if Jesus lives in us through the spirit, then I got news for you. He's not sitting there like a knot on a log. He is active in us. More active than we often dare believe. Our job is to pay attention and to listen and to cooperate with him. Often we ignore what is right under our noses, the nudges, the impulse of love, the thoughts that sometimes just pop into our heads. I believe the number one way we quench the Spirit, the resurrected Christ working within us, is not some terrible sin. 
It's not some addict consumed by their addiction. I believe the number one way Bible-believing Christians quench the Spirit is that we discount so much of what comes from Him. We don't believe that He's active and guiding and revealing Himself and at work in us. We become functional agnostics. We're afraid to believe, to take small risks of obedience. We're afraid of looking foolish, so we become cynical, as if being cynical is the intelligent thing to do. Or we're afraid of making a mistake, so that we won't take, and so we won't take the small risks Jesus asks us to take. We keep writing off God's leading as, as coincidence or, or sentimentality or something else. You know what else I found? Often it's our desire to be perfect that keeps us from flowing with the risen Christ. It's the feeling I might not be right. I might make a mistake. Often our perfectionism stops us from walking with Jesus. I have news for every follower of Jesus Christ this morning. Forget perfection. You can't achieve it. That's a problem. Don't make perfection your God. Make Jesus your God. Be willing to make a mistake if you think that thought or that impulse just might be the spirit of Jesus nudging you. Even if you're wrong, Jesus will appreciate it because the alternative to not making a mistake is doing nothing. The alternative is to minimize Jesus working us in us in the name of intelligence or safety. Follow the spirit of the risen Christ in your heart. Do, do it with humility. I mean, I've seen God blame for all kinds of stuff. I've seen God go, yeah, God wanted me to leave my wife and have adultery with this other woman. The spirit led me. Baloney! Don't blame that on Jesus. You know? I've, I've just seen so many people do so many. Listen, but it's not the mistake that bothers me. And I don't think it's the mistakes that bother Jesus. It's the lack of humility. It's okay to say, I believe this nudge may be Jesus taking me somewhere. It's okay to say that. It's not, I, the, thus saith the Lord and no one can question me. Yeah, when somebody says that, that's the very thing you should do is question them. And they should question themselves. But it's okay with some humility to say, you know, I just got this nudge to pick up the phone and call somebody. Just maybe that's a Holy Spirit. And if you go, nah, that's just sentimentality, you just may have quenched the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, and sometimes, you know, God asks people here at this church to make chocolate pies and give it to certain staff. <laughs> Listen to the Spirit. <laughs> Sometimes God asks you to write a card. Sometimes, sometimes God asks you to pull a 20 out of your wallet and just give it to someone for no particular reason. Are you listening to the Spirit or are you ignoring it, minimizing it, saying, oh, that's not God, that's me, or I, I dare not make a mistake? Listen, follow Jesus. Don't worry about the mistakes. Just follow Him with some humility. I've heard, you know, don't. Be frozen in fear and do not be frozen in skepticism because those things will kill Christ's life in you more than any mistake you will make. Follow Jesus. Believe in the resurrected Christ and then live like it. 
Because, see, Jesus is alive and pouring his life into us. And if he is, we have to keep looking out for him, often in the ordinary, unexpected places. Because God can show up anywhere, anytime. He showed up to a bunch of frady cats hiding after the crucifixion. He showed up on beaches with a cookout. He showed up on the road to Emmaus with people who didn't have a clue who they were talking to. He showed up in burning bushes out in the middle of nowhere. He showed up in the middle of the night for a man, with a man running for his life, and they ended up in a wrestling match. He showed up to, in a man, to a man wallowing in, in pity and self in depression and, and who was suicidal, who ran to a cave because Jezebel was upsetting him. And Elijah went into that cave, and God had, came and said, Hey, what you doing down in this deep, dark hole? Aren't you glad God visits us in deep, dark holes? He came to uh, people trapped in a foreign land, people who were oppressed systematically while they were in that foreign land, people who were thrown into a fiery furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Aren't you glad when Jesus shows up in the middle of oppression? Aren't you glad when it gets hot in the kitchen, Jesus is not afraid of the heat? He showed up to a motley crew of fishermen, to tax collectors and prostitutes, he showed up to people in prison and their shackles fell off and they sang and danced in the night. The cross and the resurrection shows that life begins often when we think it's ending. Resurrection is the knowledge that God can take the worst this world has to offer and he can turn it into something new. He can turn it into something life-giving. It's called redemption. Because if Christ can raise Lazarus from the grave, what do you think he can do with you? If he can overcome his own death on a cross through resurrection, what can he not resurrect in our lives? Death itself has been conquered by the resurrection. And we will never die. Our bodies will die, but the real us is not going to die. And one day our bodies are going to catch up with our souls. Hallelujah. Resurrection is everywhere if you can see it. Every time someone hurts you deeply and you forgive them and seek reconciliation because the Holy Spirit is nudging you, the risen Christ is nudging you to go and, and get this thing right, every time that happens, res resurrection has broken loose. Every time we violate our fallen human nature and our greed, and give sacrificially to someone who is hungry or homeless or poor or lost. It is resurrection breaking loose. Every time an addict stops lying to themselves and wants God so much they're willing to face the pain and truth of their addiction, we are seeing resurrection in the flesh. Every time a sinner stops playing God with their life and cries out to God for help and for love and for salvation, resurrection has broken loose. We See, you have to understand this. Resurrection started with Jesus 2,000 years ago. And the final resurrection will take place sometime in the future. But in between, there's all kinds of resurrection going on. Hallelujah. All kinds. This room is full of resurrected people. This room is full of people who should be dead, but you are alive. This room is full of people who messed up, and Jesus came into the death of your mess and lifted you out of it. This room is full of people who have been through hell, and Jesus visited you in hell, and he took you out of hell by the power of his own resurrection. Because he lives, we live too.
Frederick Buechner writes, the proclamation of Easter Day is that all is well. And as a Christian, I say this not with the easy optimism of one who has never known a time when all was not well, but as one who has faced the cross in all its obscenity as well as in all its glory, who has known one way or another what it is like to live separated from God. In the end, His will will be done. Hallelujah. In the end, love is the victor. I don't care how much ISIS does. I don't care how much terrorism does. In the end, love is the victor. Death is not the end. The end is life. His life and our lives through Him and in Him. Existence has greater depths of beauty, mystery, and benediction than the wildest visionary has ever dared to dream. All because Christ our Lord has risen today. And because He has risen, we will rise too. Resurrection has started. Resurrection is here. Resurrection is pulsating through hearts all over this place. Have you been resurrected? At least have you got the first installment. That's why we are here today. Because Jesus lives, so shall we. Because Jesus lifts people up, we have been lifted up. Because Christ brings eternity into this world, we have tasted of eternity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> praise the Lord. I'd like the worship team to come. Uh, well, I'd like the, the Miller worship team to come. And, uh, and we're going to sing a final hymn. I'd like the intercessors to come. If you, have, if you have not been resurrected, I strongly recommend it this morning. If you don't know the one who came out of the grave and the only one who can pull you out of the grave too, I strongly recommend you get to know him. The altar is open for any kind of prayer and for all kinds of things. Would you stand? Randy, lead us. Alfred Ackley was an evangelist during the 1900s. And at one of his meetings, a student came up to him and said, why do you worship a dead Jew? And Alfred said, I don't worship a dead Jew. I worship someone who's alive. And not only is he alive in me, he's alive in everyone else. And then he wrote this hymn, He Lives.
resurrected Lord. 